Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters but must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Kind of a theme this morning in our true songs we're singing. Christ, our hope and life and death. See our almost home. Thinking about that, we have a funeral today. Brother Ronald, his father passed away. Is it 90 or 91, Mr. Eugene? And we'll have that funeral at, uh, in Covington, and we'll feed the family here. It's a great opportunity. Uh, Ronald and Cindy, they've been here at our church um, for a really long time, uh, decades and decades, uh, through good times and bad. They've been here and faithful, and so great opportunity to love on Brother Ronald. We'll uh, feed the family here at the church, uh, have that food here about 4, 4.30ish, and um, look forward to doing that. You know, we, so we do as a church family, we rejoice with those who rejoice, Right, those who have wonderful things going on, but we also mourn with those who mourn, and so it's a great opportunity for us to do that. We try to help carry loads, don't we, with one another? We talk about that as kind of our motto: as uh, just arm in arm, hand in hand, we live life together. So we go through good times and bad times. I want to let you know about Mr. Clyde Sheffield. He's uh, been in the hospital and uh, been having some difficulty for some time with Parkinson's and and uh, others health issues, but he is uh, going to be coming home uh, from the hospital on Tuesday. Uh, he'll come home on hospice, and so we want to, uh, to continue to pray and love on them and uh, pray for Miss Fran and Cindy and Gary as they care for them, and we're going to continue to help do that as well. So be in prayer for them. Um, I want to pray for us. I'm going to ask the kids to come down, uh, second grade and under, line up here at the door. Uh, they're going to go back and study the Bible and in an age-appropriate way. Excited about that. Thankful for y'all teaching them this morning. Good group we have. I want to pray for us and ask the Lord's blessings we, on our time together. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge your goodness to us today. We're here. We're healthy. We're thankful that we're able to be here and worship and sing truth about you and to you. We think about our time here today as look out and see familiar faces and see some new faces. Father, we know that the the wind blows, you tell us, where it wishes, and you, uh, we hear the sound of the wind. We don't know where it comes from and where it's going, and your word tells us so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And we ask, it's a mysterious thing how you work in the lives of sinners, but we're asking today that you would, Lord Jesus, you would blow through this place today and meet with us and help us. Help us to understand your word and give us grace to apply it once we understand it. And, Father, for those who are here who've yet to repent of their sin and, and yield to you, we pray for eyes, spiritual eyes to be opened and spiritual ears to be opened so they can hear the sweet gospel message and they can repent and trust you as Lord and Savior. We are thankful that you sent Jesus 2,000 years ago, not just to die for us, but to live for us, to keep a, a perfect record, to obey you, in, Father, in every way. And, Father, we're thankful that through Jesus, by placing our faith and trust in the crucified, risen Savior, we, too, can have our sin debt removed, and we can receive that perfect record from you that we so desperately need. Father, may you do a work this morning. May we leave encouraged, empowered, convicted, changed. Father, use me and change me today, even as I preach the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
We'll turn back in your Black Pew Bible. There's one in the uh, pew in front of you if you don't have a Bible. I encourage you to pick that up. That'll help you a little bit as we study. 1 Timothy chapter 6, as Seth read our teaching text today, page 1180 in the, in the Pew Bible. We're learning about the church. There's a blueprint for the church. That's a, kind of the overall theme of 1 Timothy, how the Lord wants the church to be organized and administrated. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, kind of the theme verse of this letter. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Paul is writing this letter. He's gone on to Macedonia. He's left Timothy in Ephesus. I want your congregation, I want you and the congregation there in Ephesus to know how they should function, how the church should function how you should act as the church of God. And we've learned a lot. We, we're in chapter 6. We've learned about opposing false teachers. There were false teachers there in Ephesus. Learned about that, what it looks like to worship as a praying congregation. We've learned about the roles of men and women in the church and what the qualifications were for a pastor and for a deacon. And in chapter 4 and 5, we see Paul instructing Timothy as a, a pastor, as a church planner, to train himself for godliness. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in how you live your life. And, and don't neglect your spiritual gift that God has given you. Paul teaches Timothy how to rebuke those in the church, whether they be young or whether they be old. How to treat widows and how the church should treat pastors. Those that, that teach and lead should be treated with, with honor, double honor. But that doesn't mean that anybody can be a pastor. And that doesn't mean that you lay hands on and you put uh, any old young buck up there in the pulpit. Right? He ought to be faithful over time and prove himself faithful. And, and these truths affect all of us as a church, not just pastors. But, of course, this is written specifically to a pastor. Everybody in the congregation should, should understand how to rebuke someone in the church. Everybody in the church should understand what it means to honor a widow. And to help take care of them. But some of these issues are Sunday issues, church type issues. But what about the everyday eight to five, Monday through Friday? We have some business owners here in our congregation, some people who own their own businesses, they're their own boss, right? See a few, Jim, Jim Swain's one, he has his own business, Mr. Mickey has his own business, Daniel, uh, Tina Hale, they own their own business, they're their own boss, and they answer to uh, the Lord and the government, I guess, right? They plan their hours and do what they want to do, right? But most folks have a boss that they interact and answer to on a day-to-day -day basis, right? The one who punches the clock, who works the 8 to 4, 9 to 5, today is the day for you, okay? In the first two verses of chapter 6, Paul writes Timothy to give instructions to, to slaves, and some of these slaves work for a master, a lord, who is a believer or maybe a non-believer. We'll look at both of those today. And while none of us are first century slaves, we can relate because we are under authority. The same principles taught by Paul here apply to most of us. How do we work? How many of us work? Yeah, we, we all work, don't we? Some of us work as students. Some of us work as teachers. Some work as housewives. Some as business owners. Everybody works for a living. The only difference is the, the pay, right, and the headache, I guess. Some don't get paid at all. Some get paid a little. Some get paid a lot. But what should a Christian's work ethic look like, his work life? How should it be? So we're talking about that Christian work ethic today. And in the context of Ephesus, 
when this letter was written, 60s, 60 AD or so, there were about a third of the people in the Roman Empire were bond servants or what we call slaves. And this number would be even greater in the larger cities like Ephesus, which is one of the larger cities in the Roman Empire, or Rome. A large percentage of the population would be slaves in some cities up to 50%. It was an integral social component during Paul's day and Timothy's day. And think about slavery, what comes to your mind? Roots, right? Pre-Civil War notions are not really what's uh, maybe understood here. Some slaves were, of course, mistreated. And it talks about this slavery being a, a, a yoke, right, that was upon them. But most of the slaves were like hired hands in Paul's day. Some not so much, but most people were like hired hands. They worked the fields, they did the cooking, they, they took care of and they taught the children. They were the doctors of the day. Yeah, they were slaves. Maybe they were born in slavery, but oftentimes they were poor and so they sold themselves into slavery. And some would didn't mind it at all. In fact, they wanted to be slaves for life. And so what they would do is they would stick an awl through their ear to signify that they were they belonged to the, they were going to belong to their master for their lifetime. And in fact, in, in, in the Bible, Exodus chapter 20 and 21 gives us insight into treatment of slaves. You can read that. Small group leaders can uh, maybe spend some time there. We're going to jump right into verse 1 to two points today. Firstly, honor those in authority over you at work. That's pretty straightforward, pretty easy. Not a lot of controversy here in these texts. Bond servants should honor their masters. Let all who are under the yoke as bond servants regard their masters as worthy of all honor, so the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. We've talked about widows that should be honored, remember? We talked about it not just giving respect, but even in this case, you know, material, monetary support. We looked at elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, and now employers or masters are to be honored. And in some cases, that's easy to do, isn't it? I mean, for some of us, that's really easy to do. Some employers are respectful and they share their profits at year's end with bonuses. If we all work hard and get after it, our boss, the owner of the company, is going to share his profit with all of us. And so you work diligently and you're happy and you see smiles on your faces in the office. And your boss, is he gives you attaboys. Hey, you're doing a great job. I appreciate your work. They look you in the eye, shake you in the hand, and tell you how much they appreciate you. That happens. We see that sometimes, don't we? Some give you extra time off to care for your aging parents when they're hospitalized. Some who see you grieve as you're Bearing a, a family member will give you extra days off. They'll come to the funeral. They'll give love and support there. Maybe even help you with funeral expenses. You might say, like Morgan uh, can say, I love my boss. He's a great fella. Some of you can identify with him well. But others of you, you really can't identify with Morgan because your boss is not a believer. He's not a very gracious person. What about you? Do you... You like your job? You feel, feel appreciated at your place of employment? Think about how many people in America, what percentage of the Americans would say they like their jobs? Now, I've, I've looked it up. <laughs> You're like, I'm retired. I love my job. Should have done it long ago, right? I got the best boss in the world. Yeah, what, what percentage of Americans would say they like their job, you think? Do not like their job. 70% of Americans will say, I really don't like working. I really don't like my job. I don't like my workplace. I don't like my boss. I don't like my pay. There's something about their job that's so negative, they would say, yeah, I don't really like it. And this, this description of being under a yoke of servanthood implies a hard, maybe a disagreeable condition, right? So we say some of these people put awls in their ear, Jake, and they wanted to be a, a, a servant to their master forever, 
Yeah, there's situations like that. But some had difficulties, right? First Peter chapter two, verse eighteen. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. That word unjust, the word there, uh, scolios, is where we get the word scoliosis. Some of you have that. Some of you suffer from that. What does that mean? Scolios means it's not straight, but it's crooked, right? Yeah, and some of you have bosses, owners of the company, the people that you answer to directly that are just that. They're crooked. They're not righteous, God-honoring folk. They're not gracious with their speech. They're not honest in their dealings. They're not easy to get along with. Some of us work under difficult conditions. Our, our bosses are, what you would say, unjust or crooked. People that don't show up to the office with smiles on their faces or look for opportunities to encourage one another. It's more like a dog-eat-dog -dog world in your workplace. Your boss might be more of a tyrant than an ally, not a friend but a foe. Some of you may have it difficult at work. Think about this. What if your boss was an idol worshiper who believed everybody who told them anything except you? And when everybody said something negative about you, they believed it. That was Joseph's boss while he was in Potiphar's house. Yeah, pretty hard working conditions there. You think your boss is a narcissist. His second boss that he worked under in Egypt wanted to be worshipped. He thought of himself as a god, the Pharaoh. But how did Joseph conduct himself while he worked under that dictator? Well, he worked so well, he was given position of prime minister of Egypt, second only to the boss himself. You think you have it difficult. You think your boss is full of himself. Well, think about Daniel's boss. He signed an edict that no one could worship anyone but him. And those who disobeyed that would be thrown into a den eaten by lions. How did Daniel conduct himself under such a king? He worked in such a way that he was given influence and honor. In fact, his, his boss said, who? who else do you know that believes like you, lives like you? Sign them up, hire them. And so he, he did. He hired Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He wanted all his subjects to be like Daniel. So sometimes we have it difficult, but a difficult time, but they're Commands given to us as laborers, as servants, as employees. How are we to conduct ourselves in a difficult situation? Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only the good and the gentle, but also the unjust. And notice the implications here in verse 1 of those in authority over us at, at places of employment. Why are we to honor our unbelieving Bosses, our unbelieving managers, our unbelieving authorities. Notice it says, that, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. If we don't honor our employers by the way we work, evangelism gets more difficult. So there's an evangelistic reason for Christian slaves' behavior. And what does it mean by the teaching here? The teaching may not be reviled. The teaching there, or some translations say our teachings, mean the apostles' teaching or the gospel. And, and this is needed today because most of the world is lost. In fact, you spend most of your time, most of us, with lost people. Jesus teaches us this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. This is in his Sermon on the Mount. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. That means hell. And those who enter it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Most people are lost. Most people are in the world are going to hell. Most people that you work under, just by the law of averages, are going to be non-believers. And some non-believers are harsh, unjust, corrupt, self-absorbed, manipulating, difficult people. It's interesting, we've seen the gospel sharing emphasis in this letter already. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul, he urges the Ephesians here to live. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah, live peaceful and quiet, godly lives. This pleases God, who wants everyone to be saved. If they lived exemplary lives, the knowledge of the gospel would spread. In chapter 3, verse 7 of 1 Timothy, says of each elder, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Why? So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. To be spoken well of by outsiders is essential to the gospel, to the spread of the gospel. Chapter 5, verse 14, he counsels young widows. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander because a slandered church loses gospel power. So there's an emphasis on sharing the gospel, on evangelism, on people being saved. Again, how do we treat those who are in authority over us? Your foreman, your manager, maybe an administrator, a principal. Yeah, we... Live rightly, work hard, have a good attitude. So if I ask your boss about your work ethic, what would your boss say? If I ask your boss about how you handle yourself at work, would I immediately be able to have that conversation? I'd say, how, how is so-and-so handle himself at work? How's Rodney handle himself at work? How does Jeff handle himself at work? How's Charles handle himself at work? How's Rick handle himself at work? And, and their answer should, be, should lead me right into sharing the gospel. I mean, think about it. Hunter, I'll meet your boss. work at this bank, and I, I meet this guy. I, I got a guy who goes to my church, Hunter Shore. He works your bank. Do you know him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Hunter's great. Man, he's a hard worker. He's doing really well. What can I say as, as his pastor? I say, yeah, man, you know, Jesus has really made a difference in his life. Do you know the Lord Jesus? But it could go the other way as well, right? If I ask your boss, hey, do you know so-and-so? He goes, yeah, I know him. Hey, why? Does he go to your church? Well, he, he comes occasionally, right? <laughs> He's been coming occasionally for, you know, 10 or 15 years, right? So what do I do then? I just kind of, Jerry, I just kind of back out of that awkward conversation. What, what happens? I can't share the gospel. The gospel's impeded. Right? The name of God and the teaching are reviled. And so I can't share the gospel because you've been a knucklehead and you've been lazy and you've been disagreeable. You've been disrespectful. Not been submissive. Doing shoddy work. So how you doing at your job? Something we need to ask ourselves. Paul had already taught the church in Ephesus. He, he wrote the letter to the Ephesian church on his first imprisonment. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 8, just a few years before, he wrote this to the Ephesian church. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Of course, we're not talking about slaves here, right? We're talking about workers, 
how that applies to us. Does everybody understand that? Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Yeah, Paul's giving instructions. How are you to live your life? You're to obey your masters, submit to them with a sincere heart as you would obey Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, treating your boss one way in front of him and another way right behind him. Paul teaches Titus in Titus 2, verse 9 and 10, the same thing. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, but they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Pilfering, you know what that word means? It means another, trans, another way of uh, synonym could be embezzlement. Employee theft. You think that's a problem in America? It is. Yep. Well, we got a bunch of that stuff. Just take some for yourself. We can all take that home. It's not a big deal. They'll never miss it. Yeah, it's a problem. But it shouldn't be a problem for the Christian. Don't take from your workplace things that don't belong to you. How are you doing at work? You know, that's one of the, I think that one of the first things God changes in a sinner's heart when he comes to faith, when he comes to the end of himself and he submits to the Lord, he repents. And he trusts Christ as Savior. I think this is one of the first things he does is he humbles a person that allows him to submit to authority. So you find somebody that, that doesn't want to submit to authority, whether it's at, you know, at, at work or at home and the church, there, there's a problem. But I think that's one of the first things the Lord does, works on people. I know in my own life, my own testimony, the, that's one of the things that, that God did firstly. He, he began to do a work on my pride where I was able to submit to other people. Not perfectly. I don't do that perfectly now, but I think that was a, something he often does. If I came to your workplace and introduced myself to your boss as your pastor, would you be embarrassed? Not just by your attitude you've had, but by your work ethic, how well you do your job. I was talking to a young man recently. He started a new job. He was kind of on this probationary period, and he was kind of in a factory setting. He had a quota to meet. And so I said, well, how did that go? He said, well, I, was, I met my quota, and then I exceeded it. He said, I did so well, the other employees are kind of upset with me. And now the problem is I have to keep up with that because I really got after it, right? Because I'm trying to earn my keep and be a good example and, 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 and earn my spot you know, on a full-time position, and now that I am, i got to really get after it to keep up. But I'm outworking everybody here. Yeah, because you're a Christian. That's what you do. You, get, you, work for a, you, you work eight hours, you get paid eight hours pay, you work eight hours. You make your boss money. That's what a Christian does. Think about... About 25, 20 A.D., man sits in a chair, and it cracks, and he jumps up, looks at the chair. Stupid carpenter from Nazareth. Shoddy work. It's terrible. I'm going to go have a word with old Jesus. This is terrible work. Would that ever happen? No. Why? Because Jesus did God-honoring, God-glorifying work. And ours should be as well. If you're asked to do something, do it with diligence, with the right attitude. 
Honor those in authority over you at work with your attitude, with your work ethic. Do nothing in the way you work for pagans that would tarnish the reputation of God and the gospel of Jesus. Just let that sit for a second. Sometimes we need to be rebuked and we need to be encouraged and we need to be empowered. Because we get, I, know, I get it, you're working for non-Christian people and you get tired. And they keep giving you more. And then that's something. Some of you, you do really, I mean, I talk to you, I know. You do great work. Charles Garner, he does good work. I know he, he, he loves the Lord. He does good work at his job. And guess what they do? They keep giving it to him. And they keep giving it to him. And they keep giving it to him. Yeah. And I understand. It, it gets, you get weary, weary and it, it's a heavy load sometimes. I, I understand that. Legan Duncan, he says, The greatest barriers to our gospel witness in, this, in, in the church... The greatest barriers to our gospel witness, to our community, are our lives. Our lives will either commend the truth or undermine it. So let's live our lives in such a way that the truth's not undermined. Okay? Yeah, we work for, some of us work for non-believers, so let's, let's live in such a way that when I say, oh yeah, I know Adam, I know Brian, I know Jerry, I know Jake. They all, they all have good things to say. And I can jump right into the gospel. Yeah. Second thing, verse 2, we should especially honor those in authority who are believers. Kind of heavy. That's a he, this is kind of heavy message, isn't it? Because it's, it's something we got to think about, right? We should especially honor those in authority who are believers. Now, this is interesting. Those who have believing masters, right, deal with unbelievers, right? I work for an unbeliever. Now it's somebody who works for a believer. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. You would think the opposite would be true. I mean, think about it. If you're going to be especially good to somebody, it probably ought to be a lost person. If you're going to be especially good to somebody, it probably ought to be somebody lost because they're lost. And we need to be a good, good example for them. But, but actually, the opposite is true. In fact, we see it in Galatians chapter 6. We see this elsewhere in Paul's writings. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And you would think if it was me writing this, right, I would say especially those who are lost because they're lost and they need a good example. But it, Paul doesn't say that. Especially to those who are the household of faith. Interesting. We ought to be good to everybody, especially to those who are part of the church. We see this also in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. John writes, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the who? Not the lost. We love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. This isn't talking about just loving people in general. No, it's talking about loving the church, the brothers. Love for the church, love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a mark of genuine salvation. And this love ought to be demonstrated in every Christian relationship, including our work relationships. So as we have opportunity to serve under Christian employers, be thankful for that. We ought to go out of our way to serve them and love them. Don't work less and don't be disrespectful because they're believers. Think about most social groups during this time of the Roman Empire. Most you know, clubs, associations, guilds, whatever. They were pretty homogenous, meaning they were all the same. Like you had, it was a girl's, a women's club, or a men's club, or a Jewish club, or a Greek club. You know, we have those now, right? You have Postman, U.S. Postman's Association or something, right? Yeah, there are postmen, something that, but it's different for the church because the church is composed of members from various levels of society, Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. But what did they do? They, they met in circumstances in which the social standing of the day had no significance. All right, think about this, Galatians 3, 28. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is in context, what's going on here. We're all equal in Christ. That's what the, the, the context teaches us. We're all one in Christ. Paul Apple explains this phenomenon this way. These folks in the church ate together, and they called each other brother and sister, although they may have been, in fact, master and slave. But the ethos of equality within the church was, was in some tension with the social realities of their lives outside the church. So they work, and there's master-slave relationship. Employer-employee relationship. So there's submission there. Employee to the employer. But in the church, guess what? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? There's equality there. Yeah, we're all co-heirs with Christ. One not more important than the other. But you can understand the, the difficulty there. We have to remember that being in Christ doesn't change our place in society. Although in the church, we're all equal. But that doesn't change our place in society. Yeah, we're all equal in Christ. We go to work. We can't say, well, I, we're equal in Christ. I don't submit to you. No, he's the boss, and you work for him. So you have to submit. You, you can understand the, the temptation that would occur there. What if a slave becomes a believer and their, their, their boss, their master, is already a believer? Well, that was the situation with Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon had a church in his house. He was a church leader, but then Onesimus ran away, was converted in Rome under the influence of Paul. So what did Paul do? Send him back. In Christ, they're equal, co-heirs with Christ but he still had a position in society. Hey, I have to submit to my authorities. That's wonderful, isn't it? Because some of you have position of authority in your workplace. You have a lot of influence, a lot of pull. But here in church, we're all equal. Just because you make a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. In the church, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, right? When we go back to the workplace, though, we have to remember where we are who our authorities are. That doesn't mean because we're, he's my brother in Christ, that doesn't mean I don't submit to him in the workplace. No, that's his position. And sometimes you, you can imagine what would happen. Well, he's my brother in Christ. Ah, he's going to let me slide a little bit. I don't have to work as hard. He's going to take it easy on me a little bit. In fact, some people might be tempted to say, hey, he ought to pay me more. I'm a brother in Christ, for goodness sakes. You ought to pay me more than all these heathens. You see how that would maybe be a temptation. But what's Paul saying? No. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they're brothers. Or, or think about this. What if a slave's been a believer? Even if they've been, been a good example, Nick at work, they've been a really good example. They're honest. They have a hard work ethic. They're submitted to authority. And because of that, their boss becomes a believer. And their boss is a baby Christian. He doesn't know anything. You can see how you'd be tempted to kind of look down on the boss. Use that a little bit. No. If he's your boss, what do you do? You no, know, you submit to authority, and you treat him like he's your authority. If your boss is a believer, then work even harder for him and honor him with, the, with your attitude, honor him with your work ethic. Work especially hard for those who are believers. Yeah. And so, sometimes this, this is kind of chasing a little rabbit here. Sometimes we think, well, you know, this is a, he's a believer. He's a Christian. Maybe you have a, like somebody that uh, does, does service work. And sometimes, well, they're in the church. Well, they ought to do it for free. They ought to do it for free. No. Why, why should they do it for free? You're going to pay somebody else. But hey, because he's a Christian, maybe we, sh we shouldn't have to pay him. Or you ought to give me a discount. No, you ought to give him you, your attitude. Should be, no, I should give him more because he's a Christian. I know he's going to give that money to the church, to kingdom purposes. 
Sometimes we just don't think rightly. And some of you do that with businesses. Some of you business owners, you know, like, man, I hate doing business with Christians because they want to they discount all the time. Now, we ought to pay them more. We ought to bless them because they're a part of the church. So, okay, application, what do we do with this? Kind of easy, I think, application-wise. And we all have this kind of a heavy, heavy mood, you know. It's cloudy, a little cloudy outside, you know. Somebody stayed up late watching a ball game or something. There's no good ball games after 10. Just go to sleep. A little heavy teaching this morning because it, it's very, yeah, we have to think about that. We're all, we all we have authorities at work, at work, and we need to live accordingly. How have you handled yourself at work? Have you honored your authorities? Now, if you're a lost person, you're going to act like a lost person. You might be a jerk face and not want to submit to authority, even though this guy's... A, a terrible person, you don't want to submit to him. And that's, as a non-believer, that's your prerogative. But as a Christian, we have to submit to authority. Have you worked in, in, in such a way that if you tell your boss you go to this church, then I'm going to be able to share the gospel with them? Just jump right into it. That should be the case. If not, if not, then firstly, you need to repent, ask the Lord's forgiveness, and you need to make that right with your, with, with your boss or the owner of the company or your foreman or your head teacher or your administrator. I'll encourage you to do that. Some of you are like, man, I don't want to have to do that. Well, that's what, we, that's what Christians do. Christians say we're sorry a lot. Right? One of the things I want to do with my kids is teach them how to apologize because that's what we do in life. We apologize a lot. And I don't do it enough. And you know what happens? Jerry, when you go to your, your principal and say, hey, and talk to you about something if you can. You talk to him and say, hey, I didn't, I didn't handle myself well yesterday. I was, a little, I was agitated. This happened and this happened, but that's no excuse. You're my boss, you're my authority, and I'm a Christian. And I spoke to you harshly, and I want to ask your forgiveness. I've asked the Lord forgiveness, but he wants me to make that right with you. I want to ask your forgiveness. Now, if they're not a Christian, you know what they're going to do? They're not going to know what to do. Because they're not used to that in the workplace, people tr being humble and trying to make things right. I've shared this story before. I, was, I waited tables when we were in grad school. Gene and I were living in Louisville, and I had this boss. They were just, it was pagan. It was at a restaurant. I was waiting tables. Subculture there is very pagan. And my boss, he's a few years younger than me, and uh, it got under my skin, and I was real forthright with him about something. And got home. Uh, realized that, you know, somewhat the next morning, had a little quiet time. The Lord put me in a full Nelson, right? Conviction. I now I got to make that right. For the next night, I go into work and I said, Hey, name's Matt. Hey, I want to talk to you for a second. And I said, Hey, I, you're my boss. You're the manager here. And last night, this happened, da 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 da. And I, I said this to you and, and I was wrong. And the Lord convicted me. I'm a Christian. He knew I was a believer. I'm a Christian, and I was wrong, and I want to ask your forgiveness, and I hope that, I'm going to hope that never happens again. He didn't know what to say. Uh, I didn't even think anything about that because usually the, all the law, they would just cuss, have a cuss fight, you know, kind of thing. He said, like, I didn't think anything about that. I said, well, I did, and I'm wrong. You know what happened when I did that? I've been there sharing the gospel with people, loving on people, being a good example, just getting after it. That changed our relationship. So for the next several years, I got to minister to that man and his, and his fiance. Because of that one relationship, I got to speak into his life. And not only his life, but a lot of other people. That was kind of like the broke the ice there. Gave me opportunities to really do a lot of ministry in that pagan place. All because I confessed my sin and asked forgiveness. And I, I'm not saying guarantee you know, preachers tell all these stories and everything always comes out good in the end. I'm not saying that's going to happen. When you, anytime you go to a, a, a person, especially if they're not a believer, and you, you confess your sin, you have to be ready to receive the wrath. 
But what you're trying to do is make that relationship right. Obey the Lord and make that relationship right. And they may not receive it well. They might, yeah, you're right, blah, 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 blah. And they might give you an earful. But many times the Lord will use that in a relationship where non-believers, they're not used to people being humble. They're not used to people coming and admitting they're wrong. Hey, Christian, if you're a Christian, that's what we do a lot. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. Stay a lost person. Because you can't be a Christian and, and, and not admit you're wrong. I mean, that's how we are introduced to, to God, is by admitting that we're wrong. I'm a sinner. I'm living like this, God, towards you. I've been spitting in your face, slapping you in the face by the way I live and by my attitude, the things I say, how I treat my wife, how I treat my coworkers, how I fill out my taxes. But you sent Jesus to live for me, and he lived perfectly, unlike me, and he died a terrible death in my place. He was buried on the third day. He rose so that I could know you. Father, I want to know you. That's what you're doing. You're admitting you're wrong when you repent. You can't repent without admitting you're wrong. Submitting to the Lordship of Christ. Just by way of application. Tomorrow, when you clock in, you may need to go and talk to your boss or your foreman or your principal or your administrator and ask forgiveness. So I encourage you to do that. If you're, if you're lost and you've never admitted you're wrong, you've never told the Lord you're wrong, you've never repented, by way of application, you need to repent and you need to trust Christ. You need to be reconciled to God. And there's time to resist authority. We don't just do what we're told, no matter what it is. No, there's time. You don't break the law. You don't go against your conscience. But most time, we don't have to do those things, do we? In our context. We need to work like Christians church thinking like you know there's in the news there's a lot about labor unions in the news lately with all the car and truck manufacturers right UAW and, and there's a place for unions and you're like well I'm a union guy yeah I'm not saying there's not a place for unions but I'm saying Christians don't need labor unions and listen don't don't take that and run with it I'm not saying hey you're not to pay your union dues anymore. That's not what I'm saying. But as Christians, think about what unions do. It, uh, unions is a worldly way of putting lost people in a situation where they act like new covenant people. You're trying to get people to act like new covenant people where they're honest and do a hard day's work and all that kind of stuff. But Christians, we really don't need that. And I'm not saying you, I'm against those things. I'm not. But think about that for a second. If you're a, maybe you're a, in a, a foreman or a manager, you're a boss, maybe you own your own company, you need to treat your employees justly and rightly and graciously. If you're working under somebody, whether they're a Christian or not, you need to work hard. Earn your money. You don't have to walk in there on payday of course, they don't do that anymore. Used to, you had to go in there and like that, right? They don't do that anymore. You get, now you, but you, the, the, the old joke, remember the old joke? You don't have to walk in there backwards, right, and get your money. You won't be able to look them in the eye. Say, yeah, I earned my money. I gave you honest day's work, and you give me honest day's pay. And I'm not saying there's not time that you, you leave and move jobs. I'm not saying that either. I'm saying you got to stay there and take it. If things aren't good, if you can go somewhere else and make more money and take care of your family, if you feel like that what the Lord is directing you to do, then do it. But don't sign up for a job making $20 an hour and 
as soon as you hire on, complain because you're not making enough money. You told a man you'd work for $20 an hour. If you don't want to work there, don't. But don't tell him you're going to give him a hard day's work and that the pay is $20 an hour and then complain about it the whole time. Enough of that, right? Yeah. Hey, Beaver, let's, let's be the church. Let's live like Christian folks. Let's work like Christian folks. Some of you got difficult situations. I get it. And there may be situations. You ask the Lord, maybe you, maybe you ought to be moving on. But while you're there, let's obey the Lord. Think about Joseph. Think about Daniel. There's others. Nehemiah. There's other examples of people who worked, were under difficult situations, and they were faithful to the Lord, and the Lord blessed it. Won't you stand with us? We're going to pray. Remember, after we're, we're done here, we're going to, men, we're going to stay just for a few minutes and have a real quick meeting. It's not going to take but three minutes and 47 seconds. <laughs> Unless Morgan's long-winded. We're going to have a short meeting. But Hey, Wednesday night, if you're not doing anything Wednesday night, you ought to come. Uh, we have a great time. We eat good food. Uh, if, you come, if you've never been on Wednesday night and you come Wednesday night, I'll buy your dinner. It's $5 a plate for adults. Kids eat free. If you want to come, I'll buy you dinner. If you're a couple, like 10 bucks, I'll, I'll pay for it. Uh, if there's too many, come. Morgan will pay for the rest. <laughs> but come Wednesday night. We have a great time. We eat. We have Bible study. Uh, we're learning as adults the New Testament chronological story. If you can tell me the New Testament in chronological order, uh, you don't have to come. You're, you can uh, test out of it. But I think all of you would benefit from it. It's a sweet, sweet time. I think if you came once, you would fall in love with it. So I encourage you to do that uh, this week. Let's pray and uh, worship team, come on up. We're going to sing and uh, be dismissed. Father, we acknowledge your goodness. Thankful for your word, Father. And it, you do. You take us to the woodshed when we need it. And Father, if there's anybody here that needs to be uh, disciplined, you do that in their lives so they could be sought and light at work. Some people, we understand, Father, are in difficult situations. They, they really struggle with work. Maybe they feel like they're underpaid. Maybe they feel like they're not appreciated. Maybe they feel like um, their boss is uh, um, not just critical, hard. Father, I just pray that you give them grace to be salt and light. And if they've, Father, if any of us have been disrespectful, if any of us have dishonored you in how we've talked about or um, responded, to our boss, or maybe just the way we work. We just haven't been putting out the work. We had not been earning our money. I pray that you would discipline us. Father, give us grace that we could repent and make that right with our bosses, our administrators, and all those folks that, that, work, uh, that we work under. And, Father, do a work in us. Help us to, to get after it and, and be faithful in the area of work. And, Father, is anybody here, again, Father, that, that's yet to repent? Uh, they've yet to admit they're wrong and repent, I pray that you would give them the grace to do that. Thank you, Father, for just uh, the singing and uh, small groups and just the time to be together today. And, Father, for the visitors that are here. I know some people are looking for church homes, trying to figure out where they need to be. I pray you direct their steps. If you want them to be here, that that would be obvious to them. And Father, as we minister today to the kid family, as we love on them, as we do small groups tonight, I just pray that you'd bless our efforts that you'd be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.